What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I'm your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today, as always, is the man who once again found out that a home improvement job is never as easy as it seems, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. It is never as easy. And you know how many times when I start a project, it's the first time. So I think it's the first time I've ever replaced, actually, baseboards in a in a room. And so pulling those out and and replacing those that there's a there's a knack to it i'm getting more comfortable with it but yeah i just uh, never done that before i've certainly painted before so that was an easy thing but it's almost like we get amnesia in that we finish a project and it was overwhelming amount of work and multiple trips to the store and youtubes are watched to try to figure out how to do things and then we finally get it all done and we say we'll just hire somebody to do it again and then the next project comes along and we go oh, we could do this, right? We've done it before. And then we get into the middle of it. And now we've made, I think yesterday we made three trips alone to Costco to try to get the things that we needed <laughs> to get the room finished. Right. But you know, that's all right. That's it's, it's gratifying to know that you did something in your house. And, you know, I think we're at that point, kind of the break point where you, you kind of make the decision of whether you continue to do it yourself or pay for somebody to do it. But you know me, and and the and the listeners have heard how cheap I am over the many <laughs> shows we've done. That is true. I am cheap, and that hasn't changed. So I'm still happy to to put in some some sweat equity to get uh, get changed what needs to be changed. But it's all for the glory of God and for the glory of our granddaughter who's soon to come. Rosemary is making waves in the house, oh. and she's just and she's not even here yet in terms of being able to speak. But she speaks to her mom, our daughter, very oh. very loudly. I remember very well that feeling as I got towards the end of pregnancy, and perhaps you've heard this term before, of nesting. That as mothers get towards the end of their pregnancy, they have this kind of burst of energy, and they want to get all these things done around their house to prepare for this baby. I feel like I am nesting because I have this burst of energy that I've got to get this room finished so that way we can get things from an office moved over so that way we can get them set up uh, in in another half of the homes and, and help get this baby prepared. I get single-minded, though, with it. Whereas for you, you kind of like, all right, here's today's project on this. We've got weeks to get it done. So I'm going to do this one thing. And then the next day I'm going to do this one thing. And I don't <laughs> understand that because all I can see, there is no other task that I need to do in this house, but get this room done. And we started this project over the weekend and then we had to take a pause because it was Saturday. You were assigned to do the vigil mass because there was a special dinner afterwards a new parishioner welcome they do this at holy redeemer twice a year we missed the last one so it's been one year now that you've been assigned at holy redeemer so we attended along with our whole family the new parishioner dinner it was a yeah, great evening it was and and it's just great to not only meet the new parishioners but to, to remind ourselves that a, a year has gone by how fast that has occurred and we haven't yet really done what we had hoped to do was just to, to do the welcome, um, be part of this community. So what um, struck me is as we were going through, we went around the room and everyone introduced themselves and it came to us 
And I consciously thought, I talk all the time. So I'm going to be quiet and offer to you to introduce us, which was, I think, maybe a surprise to you. But I'm glad, so glad that you did. And then after you introduced us and our family, then we turned to our son-in-law to give him an opportunity to introduce he and our daughter. And it was really poignant to me because I, I had to make the conscious choice that, okay, you're still the dad, but you need to recognize the adulthood of this young man and your daughter. And so it was great. I, I thought about it and I talked about it with my son-in-law afterwards. I was so glad he was able to talk and share his his conversion story. But just the just that act, as a, a parent, you just never quit learning. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was what I thought was so unique was to be quiet and to look to him and go, you you can introduce yourself. You don't need parents to introduce you anymore. That's right. You're a young man. What he shared too about his conversion story is that he spent a lot of time being driven. They were high school sweethearts. And so we would shuffle them back and forth to each other's homes when they would come over to our house for dinner. And he was always a young man and is still today a young man who has lots of questions. He really has a quest for the truth. And since he's become Catholic, his questions have only evolved to just incredible depths. Uh, He asked you a lot of questions in those younger years before he became Catholic about why Catholics do the things that we do. And Mm -hmm. you'd have these very deep discussions with him which eventually led him to realizing he needed to be Catholic. Yeah, and I think the great dynamic of that whole situation is that it it fed me because it, it drew out of me things that I I've never been asked before. And so when you're when you're asked a question for the first time, especially like a theological question, uh, you start to bring all these parts and pieces that you've learned and you've been and as a deacon you've been formed in. But then to present that to your future son-in-law at the time, we didn't even know that. And I look back and I'm so grateful. I mean, God just is so wonderful the way he opens up the journey of our life so beautifully when we look back on it. And here he, here our son-in-law was up talking about to, to the Holy Redeemer community how his conversion took place. And it took place in these discussions that he and I had and that, that our family had with him just beautiful and he's so impressive and he's so committed you're right he just has a a tremendous desire to know and to teach and so that's gonna that's gonna just blossom even that much further in the future for him well that is gonna lead us to today's show we do not have a special guest but we're gonna have a little bit of fun with doing a little bit of google searching now there are some top questions that people look for when asking questions about the faith. So today what we're going to do is we're going to let Google be our guide and we're going to find out why do Catholics do that. And Scott, I'm going to see what Google asks and we're going to get the answers from you right after the break. Looking forward to it. So stay with us. We've got a great episode on this week's View from the Pew. This house is now me. Things I thought I'd never be Man who has opinions on an ottoman Among other things I'm living my best life I wake up with the sunrise It does not look a thing like I thought that it would But I've been getting my steps in And I sleep with my best friend 
It's the best that it has been in a long time. I'm living my best life. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Aloha, this is Bear Wozniak from DeepAdventure.com with this week's Deep Virtue number 78. We were doing a deep uh, adventure quest retreat in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And as my friend Ken Hernandez was speaking about prudence, I could see in the background the Kennedy Space, uh, space um, Launch area where all you could see the launching pads. And I was thinking of all the great the space shuttle and all those things that were launched from that pad. And the thought occurred to me that you really don't need the virtue of prudence at all in your life unless you want to be bold. You don't need prudence if you're just going to, you know, sit in the back seat and not have a passion project or an apostolate or a ministry or, or a work that you're doing for the Lord. You don't even need prudence. You can just sit on your back and do nothing. It's the people that are on a wild adventure that need prudence. Before I fly an airplane, I go through a pre-flight checklist that just checks every little detail on that plane. And it's, and you know, it has a, it has a mechanic check it out every so many flight hours. Before I go skydiving, I'm, you know, there's a, a chute that is rolled, and then there's the reserve chute, and you check everything. You know, before you ride big waves, you check out the direction of the swell, uh, the, the interval between big sets. People who want to be bold are the only people that really need prudence. If you want to be lazy and you want to have a mediocre life and you don't want to follow God's will, you just want to kind of cruise through life, you don't need prudence. Just, just lay on the couch and be a couch potato. But if you want to live the wild adventure of God's will, you need to be prudent. You need to have a pre-flight checklist. And that's where you check in with the catechism of the Catholic Church. You kind of go through that and you'll, you'll, you'll know what it is God's requiring of you. This is Bear Wozniak from DeepAdventure.com with Deep Virtue number 77. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Find out more at DeepAdventure.com. During June, Matre Radio unites with Catholics around the world to start the summer by honoring the most sacred heart of Jesus. Grow closer to Christ during this special time through our three daily broadcast of the Holy Mass, the Sacred Mysteries of the Rosary, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, and a wide variety of inspiring spiritual reflections. Matre Radio is also honored to take your specific intentions to the most sacred heart of Jesus through our powerful prayer hotline. Share your personal requests with our dedicated prayer team right now by clicking the pray button on the Hail Mary Media app and MatraDayRadio.com or call the prayer hotline directly, 503-285-3737. That's 503-285-3737 and let us pray for you throughout the month of June as we lead souls into the most sacred heart of Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary at Matraday Radio. It's Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken with their View from the Pew on Mater Dei Radio. All right, Scott. So part of our home improvement that we have been working on, we are getting an office set up upstairs, which means there is a switch around of computers and desks. And I, we got a new computer for downstairs. And that new computer uh, is going to have search engines on it. And we always use Google. And the thing with Google is it likes to autofill for you. Trying to look at what you're typing, then try to fill in for you based on what the most popular questions are that's our son's favorite feature because that's how he spells right 
That is how he spells. He goes, Mom, I don't need to learn how to spell because if you just sound it out, Google will figure it out for you. Yeah. Well, son, you still have to do your spelling tests. <laughs> On that new computer, if I were to open up Google and type in the word, why do Catholics, Google wants to fill in the top questions that it gets from people asking the same question. So I thought what we would do today for the show is I'm going to type into the Google search engine here. Why do Catholics? And then, Scott, I'm going to ask you the question. And you're going to give us the answer today. How does that sound? That sounds exciting. I'm ready. All right. So no surprise here. When I type in why do Catholics and Google wants to autofill, the first question it comes up with is why do Catholics pray to Mary? Oh, yeah. That's one of those things that really sets us apart from our Protestant brothers and sisters is this acknowledgement of Mary, this honoring of Mary in a unique way. So it's no surprise that that would be the first questions. So if somebody were to come up to you and, and say, Deacon Scott, I don't understand this. Why do Catholics pray to Mary? What would you tell them? I think relationally, who would I go and ask of a person that I know how best to connect with that person. I would ask their mother, maybe their father. In this case, the mother. So Mary is the closest to Jesus. Of anybody in Jesus' life, Mary is the closest to him, having birthed him into the world. And so going to Mary, I, I oftentimes uh, try and relate this to uh, even Catholics who have a hesitation in their prayer of intercession to say, when you go ask your mom to pray for you when you're in a crisis, well, you have that in Mary because Jesus gave Mary to us on the cross. And how fitting for us to pray to our mother whom Jesus invites us to take on as our mother to pray for whatever situation we may be facing. So I think it's just so powerful and, and oftentimes um, so reactive because in order to recognize Mary as the mother of Jesus, it leads on that border of recognizing Mary as the mother of God, the Theotokos. Mm. And that really causes people who are not Catholic, particularly anxiety, because then they think, well, I'm becoming Catholic. Well, you're becoming fully Christian. Set Catholic aside for the moment and embrace the fact that what is it to know Christ fully? Well, to know Christ fully, you have to know Mary. Oh, absolutely. Amen to that. I pray that rosary every day and that habit of praying to Mary. Well, I always recognize those mysteries of the rosary. It's not about her. It's about how she leads us to her son. Right. Everything Mary does is oriented to Jesus. Amen to that. Well, as we continue on our search of why do Catholics, right after praying to Mary, people want to know this one, Scott. Why do Catholics eat fish on Fridays? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a longstanding tradition of the church to recognize uh, abstaining from meat on Fridays. And it's, it's recognizing that we have our daily occurrences in our lives that we take for granted. And Friday is setting aside, setting apart for the week, something that is integral to who we are eating. Mm -hmm. And when we make that conscious choice to abstain from meat on that day. It, it builds, if you will, uh, the entire weekend of our focus on 
Christ. And so it, anytime we abstain, anytime we fast, it's to reorient, refocus our attention on what's most important in our lives. God, what's most important, Jesus. And so on a Friday night when we eat fish, uh, it's in, in recognition of that, that we're entering into this sacred part of our week, which is, which is coming up to the, uh, the Saturday and the Sunday. And Saturday is dedicated to our Blessed Virgin Mary. And Sunday is obviously dedicated to our adoration of Christ. But in abstaining, um, it's not, it used to be a mandatory uh, aspect of the church. It's no longer. And since, particularly since Vatican II, it's, it's something that is uh, allowed and encouraged, but is not mandated, which I think is so, um, so mercifully parental. Mm. You make these choices. You have, a, you have the ability as an adult to make the choice to, to eat meat or not. And so uh, I think it just allows us to enter, use our faculties as baptized Christians to apply that, particularly when we know that there's a, a value in doing those kinds of sacrifices for the grace of God. You know, here at Mater Day Radio, well, we try to abstain from meat during the share when we're all here right. together. Right. The next question, and it kind of goes back to the first question that we just had. So the first question was, why do we pray to Mary? Of course, we just answered why eat fish on Fridays. The third question that people have when they type in why do Catholics in Google, it says pray to saints. Right. Now, Mary, maybe some people can go, well, I understand Mary, of course, the the mother of God uh, ascended into heaven. She sits before the beatific vision. Now, the saints, though, well, those were ordinary people like you and I. They happen to be holy in their lives. So why would we invoke their intercession in prayer when we can go to Mary or Christ himself? Yeah. Um, and for clarification on this, that. If they're canonized a saint, then the church recognizes that they too are before the beatific vision mm -hmm. and that God allows them to, to intercede uh, on our behalf, particularly when we call. So they're not going to intercede. They're not going to force their way into our life. So we, in prayer, you ask for the intercession of an individual who had a particular gift. I mean, there's, there are people who play basketball, excellent, play football, excellent, play tennis, excellent. And there are people who just play <laughs> and, and looking at me as, <laughs> as, as a clergy and as a deacon, as a father and husband, you know, I do, I do things well, but I know there are people who do it so much better. And when you look to a saint, I want to, I want to go to them and I want not only to ask them to pray for me, but I want that to be open to, to the value that they can bring into my life through their prayer. Um, they want to add something. That's why God gives them the ability to intercede because they are sharing. They're still sharing the gifts that they, they have, even though they're not physically in this world, they're spiritually connected. And that's all by God's choice. And so I think when we think of this initially, we think to pray to, to a saint, well, we're really talking to a saint. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love our ability to relate to saints too. And their their walk towards Christ was you know, fraught with difficulties just like ours are. In fact, we have that wonderful show on the weekends, Your Next Mission from God from Julianne Durko and what she says every week. Well, sometimes they got it wrong before they got it right. And <laughs> it seems like 
yeah, in many ways, saints are easy to relate to when we are going through our trials and tribulations. And so we have our saints and patronages to help us in every part of our life. And, and something connected to some of the traditions of the church to recognize that we are, as the church recognizes, the church militant, the church that's working on earth, and the church triumphant are those that are before God. And even though those have those distinctions, we're not disconnected. Maybe us on earth forget that, but those who are before the beatific vision never forget that they're connected with us. Mm, absolutely. So if you are just tuning in today on View from the Pew, we are just asking a few questions. So says Google are the top questions that people type in. Why do Catholics? So we're moving along the list now. Now, this is a good one. And it doesn't occur to me, because perhaps because, well, I've been Catholic my whole life and this is just how we do it in our family. The next question, though, somebody asked is, and I'm, I'll ask you why this is a question. Why do Catholics baptize babies? Yeah. Right? Well, we do. I did. It never occurred to me that there would be a reason why we wouldn't. So obviously there is this thought, and I think perhaps it comes from our Protestant brothers and sisters, that they all don't have infant baptism. So maybe explain to all of us why do Catholics baptize babies and why that's something different than what perhaps other denominations do. Sure, sure. It's a it's a longstanding tradition of the church and really instituted uh, most strongly in uh, St. Augustine's time. St. Augustine saw that infant baptism is a good and right thing to do. And in the Western church, uh, we baptize uh, children or babies, and then we don't do First Communion and we don't do uh, Confirmation until later. But in the Eastern Rite, they actually do all of that at, at the baptism. So there is some differences there, which I, I think is interesting, just to interesting. point out. But within the, within the Roman Catholic Church, we baptize uh, as as soon as possible because it it connects the community to the spiritual responsibility to that child because we bring in godparents. And to be a godparent, you have to be a Catholic in standing. And so we bring godparents in. That means we bring community that's outside of our immediate family, potentially, um, to be involved in the spiritual well-being of this child. And the baptism imparts that indelible mark for that child right then. And and so some of the challenges, I think, for our Protestant brothers and sisters is that, well, they, they didn't get to choose that. You foisted that on them. Mm-hmm. Well, you could say that we foisted the birth on them, too. We chose to have children. And so if I'm choosing to have a child, then I'm choosing to raise that child in the faith. And I want them to have the benefit of that. Now, the child can choose not to continue in the faith in later life. But if they want to continue on, which God, you know, willing, they will, then confirmation is that which they choose. And I really stress this with parents all the time. We should never be pushing our children into confirmation. We should be inviting them into confirmation because it should be their choice to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to empower them to be evangelizers of the gospel. Um, you don't need to have confirmation to get into heaven. Baptism is a necessary sacrament, but confirmation is not. So what is the value of confirmation? It's the choice for the individual to be empowered to do the good work as a Christian later in life. So that's why there's that distinction of baptism when they're born, confirmation when they're 
10, 11, 12 later mm-hmm. on. Well, Scott, as a parent, and we have our children who've made their decisions and they have all been confirmed. I don't know how I would have felt, though, if one of our children would have said, I don't want to be confirmed. I would be really hurt by that. I would look at where did I fail? Well, I'm just going to force him through and they're just going to get to that point and then realize this is a good thing. What do you tell somebody whose children, in fact, did that? I would be devastated. I would be. And that's a hurt. And how do you resolve that hurt and still recognize that you have children that have their own path in life that they've got to follow that? Well, you can't force them to be Catholic. Right, right. No, that I think that's the greatest risk that we take as parents, um, particularly in our Catholic faith, that we, we raise our children and, and they should be raised with a desire to continue the faith, not feel guilty if they don't continue the faith. And I think what's happened over the years, and we see a lot of fallen away Catholics, mm-hmm. uh, the, the second largest denomination are fallen away Catholics who are following other Christian traditions because they don't have that uh, feeling of being pressured into something. Well, that's why I, I really stress with parents that confirmation is wonderful and beautiful. It's not necessary for our salvation. It's necessary for the church active, alive, to be sharing and spreading the good news. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant to empower the individual to be fully in able to do what the what the apostles did just I mean, as we just finished up with acts of the apostles they receive the gift of the holy spirit and then they go out and they evangelize mm. um but i think people get worried like if i don't get them to that finish line of getting mm-hmm. confirmed i failed and they're gonna they're gonna crash i work with the bishops of our diocese uh, and the priests to um oftentimes work with adults who who are coming back around maybe 20 30 50 years later and saying, you know, I never got confirmed. I really would like to be confirmed. And how beautiful it is when it's their choice in that regard. It's their choice. And that's, that's the, I think, um, distinction we, we make. And it's a beautiful distinction when seen in the, in the proper light of what the church's intent is. Those are the top four questions. There are many more. And Scott, maybe perhaps uh, down the line, well, we'll tackle a few more of those important questions, but it is, well, time for us to go today. Before we go, will you end us in prayer? Yes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ability just to reflect on our lives and see how you have touched our lives throughout the journey that we've been on. As we work to evangelize and spread the good news Help us to do so with humility, trusting that you are in charge and the Holy Spirit will give us what we need when we call upon it with a humble heart. Help us to do that this week. In your holy name we pray. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.